Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's launch of the CWE. Today, I am joined by Stephanie. Hi. Sung Yoon. Hello. And a special guest from the Office for Race, Melissa Paul Redwood. Hello. Thank you for having me. And I'm Louise. This week, we're going to talk about what we're doing to sustain ourselves during quarantine, the hot gossip of the day, and this week's couch conversation, being Asian American. So we'll get it started. Um, what are y'all reading, watching, and listening to? Um, I'll go first. So my roommates and I have been watching the show called Vikings, which is literally about these Norse stories about Vikings in the ninth century and how they start like invading um, parts of the UK and exploring like parts of North America. And it's so gruesome and also sexual and scary but it's very good. And it was on like the Canadian history channel at one point. So it's like, they depict everything pretty historically. Like I literally watched some lady like give birth in the middle of like this giant like room. And then the dude just bit off the umbilical cord. Like that is the stuff that they depict. Sorry, what? It's really good though. I highly recommend you guys all watch it. It's so entertaining. It's on Amazon Prime. Is it like documentary style or is it like show it's like dramatic history if that makes sense Ew. so it's not it's like, like <laughs> re- all right Melissa, it, seems like, it seems like game of thrones but more grounded in like actual history yeah i it's like cinematography the cinematography is similar to game of thrones and like the vibe is very similar but it is more like historical rather than fantasy hmm okay <laughs> What else are you doing? Just crying. Okay, I mean, what are you reading and listening to, Stephanie? Um, I haven't really been reading a lot because um, my eyes are tired from looking at my computer screen all day. And then I've been listening to... What have I been listening to? Oh, Doja Cat and SZA are dropping a song tonight, so you know I'm going to be listening to that. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, I'll go next. I am currently watching Ugly Betty, which is a 2000 show, and <laughs> I post occasional updates on my Finsta story, and, like, I'm at a point where I hate the main character, and I like everyone else except for her. Um, it's a nice blast into two- the 2000s. Um, also, I started listening to Lana Del Rey's new album, because I feel like a lot of people are into her, like especially weird leftist internet girls. And like, I want to understand that, I guess, but I don't really understand the appeal. Um, Her album, like the cover is just like a bunch of like rich looking fifties white women. So I don't think that I'm necessarily her key demographic anyway. And then like in terms of the book I'm reading, I'm just reading a book for school and my psych teacher, one of them, he's like a poli sci psych cross-listed guy he like wrote this book called the political brain so now i spend my free time like reading about democratic messaging versus republican messaging and all that really great stuff yeah what about you melissa um i'm so i am really early on this is gonna sound like a commercial but so i am reading world of wonders by amy nizuko mandatio for upcoming Apita Waves event that's going to be host, co-hosted by um, the Office for Race and CWE. 
Um, so it's written by a poet, but it's these personal um, essays reflecting on nature and her relationship to it as an Asian American woman, as a South Asian and Southeast Asian woman, um, which is really nice because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the writing that's out there about the environment, about environmentalism is very like white centric mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm really excited for our event. It's going to be happening on the 13th. Um, and there are digital copies available in the Emory Library. So that's the end, that's the end of my, um, my little um, promotion there. But um, I've been listening to um, I've recently been, so we talked about this a little bit, but I'm a big shiny fan. I've been getting into um, Timmins solo music mm -hmm. recently. Um, I had sort of been putting it off, but I've started listening to it and it is art. It is legitimate art. art. It's oh, art. 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 Okay, art. got it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a work of art. So I've really been enjoying it. Um, and I've been listening to that a lot. Watching, um, we've been watching Superstore a lot recently. So they just oh, had their yeah. series finale. Yeah. And I think, you know, the series as a whole has kind of had its ups and downs. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of, it sort of was dragging for me a little bit around season four and season five. But um, season six was pretty good, even though it hurt my feelings in a lot of ways. Um, it tried Wait, to take the... Oh, I don't want to give spoilers. Are people okay. going to be upset if I give spoilers? <laughs> I'll talk about um, this later. I want to know your opinions. I, yeah, I'll tell you about it later. Um, it, yeah, it did hurt my feelings a little bit at first, but it tried to fix them. Um, so overall, the show's pretty solid. Nothing's perfect, but we've been enjoying it. Cool, cool. What about you, Songyun? Um the next book I've yet to read is also World of Wonders, but the last book I've read was called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Um, mm -hmm. I've been watching this French comedy show on Netflix with my sister called Call My Agent, and it's basically about a Paris talent firm from the perspective of the agents, but it's really funny. Um, I don't, I've never learned French or speak any French, but, <laughs> but it's still really good. Um, and I've been listening to a lot of Phoebe Bridgers lately, her music is really sad, but it's like casually sad. Um, and my current favorite song of hers is Savior Complex. Hmm. Nice. I feel like she's been pretty big recently. She yeah. was on SNL once, right? Mm -hmm. And she yeah. was nominated for Grammy, but I don't think she won any this year. What is the high gossip? Tell me everything. Okay, for the next section, um, we're going to cover the latest hot gossip. So what's been going on? Well, okay, so recently, Lil Nas X, well, like, I, I guess it was like a week or two ago, he dropped Montero, the Call Me By Your Name, like, music video, single, etc. And I didn't find out about it until like a week after he dropped it. And I like texted my friends about it. And they were like, oh, you didn't know? And I was like, well, clearly I have no friends because nobody sent this to me. And like, it's like just really, the music video is like super weird. It actually has a lot of like classical references to like, uh, what, like mythology and things like that. There's, it starts with like the tree of knowledge and the snake. And it kind of is like, uh, response to people who are always telling him like, oh, you're going to hell because you're gay. And so like, that has been very interesting. Like, I don't think that he's necessarily my taste in music, but I just like, when I watched the video, I was like, oh my God, like, have any of you seen it? I haven't watched it yet, but 
Are you serious? I've seen clips of it and I've heard the song multiple times. It's more just like, first of all, what is the appeal of Call Me By Your Name anyways? Okay. The movie? Yeah, the movie. Like he references it in the song, but it's not like the movie itself. It's more just like the title, the name. Like, yeah. I think right? it's just probably part of like the the gay glamour or something. The gay call me by your name is gay glam. <laughs> I I don't know. Like I don't I didn't love the movie or anything, but it just had this really like idyllic feel throughout the entire. That's thing. true. Yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give Lil Nas X that. <laughs> and he also had those like satanic blood shoes. Like you've all heard about that, right? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. He's planning on putting like a drop. He's selling Nikes and putting a drop of blood in all of them, <laughs> or like he's selling shoes and putting a drop of blood in the heel. Honestly, when I first heard that, my thought wasn't like, oh, he's like subverting conservatives who hate him because he's gay. I was like, is that ethically like okay? Like labor wise, like where's his blood coming from? You know, like who is donating their blood to put in his shoes? I think it's a joke, Louise. No, it's not. He already sold them. (laughs) He already sold them? Yeah. I don't even know anymore. Those are going to be a collector's item. They're going to be super, they're going to be worth millions of dollars in however many years. So Yeah, they probably will. Melissa, what is your hot yeah. process week? Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm here to sort of publicly mourn the loss of um, Deathview. I'm here to mourn the loss of Yahoo Answers, um, which was announced earlier this week. Um, and... Many of you are probably familiar with Yahoo Answers. It is a repository of knowledge and culture and philosophy. And this is really devastating. Love that, yeah. Devastating (laughs) Exactly. And so there's one that's like really funny where the question is like, what is worse, ignorance or apathy? And then the answer is, I don't know and I don't care. (laughs) I'm like, this this really gets to the heart of human existence, I feel like. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about the tech industry and how um, a lot of these companies love to kind of cannibalize each other and sort of buy each other and then get rid of the things that don't sell your data to make money. (laughs) Um, So this feels like a huge loss to me personally. Um, You know, this feels like a a cultural loss. Um, It is, for sure greater than the burning of the Library of Alexandria. Um, so I just want, in honor of Yahoo Answers, I just want to take a few, uh, just take a moment to read some of my favorite questions. Oh my God. Um, she can prepare. <laughs> I can prepare. Oh yeah, no, I wrote a list. Number one, why are holes in cat's fur always in the right places for their eyes? Number two, what is Barack Obama's username on PlayStation Network? I want to play GTA Online with him. <laughs> Number three, how do I keep my son from naming my grandson YOLO? Number four, notice there are no photos of Jesus with a hat? Question mark. And then finally, how Brits can live in UK, which is full of haunted house? <laughs> oh my God, this- you're really... <laughs> You remind me of the charm of Yahoo Answers. We're losing so much. And there are a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of other ones that are much more explicit, but hilarious. And I just think we don't have to do this as a society. We don't have to burn (laughs) our repository of knowledge. 
You're totally <laughs> right, because I feel like I haven't been on there in years, but it's always just like, I know it's there, you know, and that's really important to it's me. It's a comfort. There Do you guys one. remember, like, the am I pregnant? <laughs> am I pregnant? I saw this one that was like, oh, have you guys ever farted? I've never farted before. (laughs) (laughs) I saw saw some person, I saw some person saying like, you know, with Yahoo Answers being shut down, how am I going to, how am I going to learn from somebody who was in my exact situation 11 years ago? (laughs) You know, how am I going to get answers to the question? And it's just, you know. As a historian, I just feel like oh. we, these are these are the kinds of relics we should preserve. I look forward to like somebody's senior thesis about Yahoo Answers. The archives, this makes me human this makes me feel almost as sad as when like Vine got taken down. Like I exactly. love Vine. I love Vine. Yahoo, Yahoo Answers has the same, or Vine has the same energy as Yahoo Answers. It's just chaos. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was devastated. I was devastated when Vine was taken away and now Yahoo Answers. Like, what's left? Is nothing sacred? Yahoo Answers. <laughs> clearly nothing sacred. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Clearly I do nothing. feel like I do feel like like Quora, that's like the new question and answer site. Mm-hmm. Also, um, maybe Reddit. I don't really I feel like it's kind of different on Reddit, but I think all if I, I like ask a question on Google, usually something Quora pops up, never Yahoo answers. I feel like Quora has a reputation of being just a little bit more put together than Yahoo answers. Quora is too intellectual. Reddit is like (laughs) fake intellectual. Quora is like actually kind of intellectual. Real intellectual, yeah. And then Yahoo answers is chaos, which neither of those two programs replicate. We will never be able to have another Yahoo answers. Unless they bring Yahoo answers. Now we'll never know. We'll never have a place to go to turn. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of car does Judge Judy drive? Okay. Okay. Yoon, what's your news? Um, You might have heard this. I think this happened a couple weeks ago, but Ariana Grande is now joining The Voice as a coach, replacing Nick Jonas, I believe. Um, I definitely think this is probably a smart move for The Voice because I think it's going to attract a lot of new viewers, maybe people who like followed Ariana Grande since she was on Nickelodeon or people who just like her music in general. Um, But something that was interesting is that she's the most, or she's going to be the highest paid judge in the history of The Voice, even more than Blake Shelton, who was on for every single season. Um, But yeah. Mm Because Ariana Grande is like Ariana Grande, you know? Mm. When I... When I saw this, like my, because I like Ariana Grande, well, at least I like her music, I follow it. My first thought when I saw this was like, this is a downgrade for her, man. Like the voice. Yeah. What? I have a confession to make. This whole time I was mistaking the voice for the view. And I was like, wow, she's really going to sit there next to like, <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And then I connected the dots and that's not what she Yeah. But I guess like for me, as someone who doesn't watch the voice or who has never watched the voice, I, I mean, it definitely did pique my interest. I'm probably going to like look out for clips on YouTube or whatever. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of funny like reactions to this, like similar to you, Ulysse, like people saying that this is da- downgrading and people like speculating how much they actually paid Ariana Grande to be on The Voice. Um, yeah, I feel like it's low-key kind of predictable because, you know, with all the concerts and like 
that kind of stuff being canceled, artists are looking for streams of revenue to supplement like what they would normally be making. I'm sure that probably factored into her decision to be on The Voice. Like a lot of the money she makes actually comes from like live appearances and stuff like that. And but does, like, does she need it? Does she, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Does she need it? I mean, maybe like Ariana Grande is not just a person, right? Like she is an empire of people. She's a brand. So you have to pay all the people like in your brand. But even so. the amount of money that she has already, I feel like could sustain Please. her and her brand. I don't know. Too. These, all these, all the things these like artists do is like collect wealth. Like the fuck? Why are you asking? I don't know how much money she'd be making. Okay. Clearly, <laughs> clearly she, there's some type of incentive for her to like downgrade and be on the voice. Like Ariana Grande, does she need to be there? Like she doesn't. I'm glad that people agree with me that this is a downgrade because like- It is a downgrade. Is going, like I've seen one season of The Voice. I saw it because it was like the season with Christina Grimmie, who I like liked when she was on YouTube. And like- R.I.P. Christina. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like that good of a show. Like they don't seem to like care about important quote unquote things. Like all they care about is like drama. And then like Adam Levine and Blake Shelton would like beef. I, I guess Adam Levine isn't there anymore. And like now it's just Blake Shelton. Like what is what has he done? Sorry, is Jennifer Hudson still on that show. She left. Did she leave? I don't know. I don't, I don't watch The Voice. Neither do I. But I like Jennifer mm. Hudson. I think she's so talented. And I also think that she's like, like being on The Voice is also like a step down for her. Oh, but she left. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, my hot gossip is what louise you want to keep going with this ariana grande stuff no i'm done keep going my hot gossip is um a boat got stuck in the suez canal and prevented a bajillion ships from crossing it and then disrupted shipping globally and that's great because capitalism will fall when the suez canal gets bottled up and no ships can get through good for her period <laughs> Anyways, that's my news. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Fuck Cap. There were, a lot, of, Yay, there were a lot of memes with like the huge boat and then like the tiny crane, like trying to. <laughs> and then, yeah, that was funny. I think, Stephanie, I think you posted one actually. I probably did. I like, I'm so <laughs> obsessed with those memes because it's just so absurdly funny. Like, can you imagine the way that we exist in the world really depends on like this canal being open? And that's not even, like, something the world can control. It's so much, like, just, like, man-made construction. And, like, our global capital de literally depends on that. And I think it's just so funny. And then they be trying to dig this ship out with a crane. Like, you are not going to move the sand with a tiny, tiny crane. The ship is, like, 50 times bigger than this crane. And it's so funny because it's just trying to dig it out. I'm like, good luck, baby crane. Like, that's not happening for you, sis. Sorry. Anyways, I, like, just feel so much about this boat. <laughs> but it's out now, right? It's out now, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, it is now out. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it is wild, because there were, like, photos, or there were, like, maps of people. Like, people had to literally go all the way around the entire continent of Africa again, mm -hmm. like they used to. And it just really, you know, <laughs> highlights the importance of infrastructure. Um among other things, but. Anyways, RIP boat. And also like, imagine if you were the captain of that ship and you're like, hey, sorry, I'm the person that got the boat stuck in the Suez Canal. Oh my God. Like, 
I would die. Like, I stopped global shipping. Like, what is my problem? It's time for our couch conversation. Thanks, everybody, for sharing your hot gossip. We're going to move into our next segment, which is to this week's couch conversation. And this week's couch conversation is about being an Asian American woman. Um, And we would first like to just give a moment of silence and recognition to the spa shootings that happened, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, We're really doing this podcast and highlighting the experiences of Asian women because of like this horrible thing that happened. And we really think it's important to talk about um, the experiences that Asian American women really have to go through. So with that being said, let's move on to the conversation. So just a little disclaimer, I think our experiences don't really cover the entire Asian American diaspora. Um, let's like talk. Obviously, but also. Yeah, like obviously. But, um, yeah. It's really just difficult. Like, the I just don't understand why people expect us to be able to speak on, like, the diaspora in, in its entirety. And I feel like people don't really understand, like, how complex, like, when we talk about Asian American, what that means. Like, there's, like, 40-plus something countries in Asia itself. And then, like, multiple ethnic groups within each country that speak, like, different languages, have different cultures. And it's because, like, the geography of Asia is so big. And so, like, when you have, I don't know, a lot of Asian Americans in one room, I don't think it's, like, really easy to be like, hey, what's the Asian American experience? Because it's, like, we're so spread out geographically, even in America, like, how we grow up, socioeconomically. It's a lot. Because don't Asian people have, like, uh, the greatest gap between, like, the people who make the most amount of money and then like the people who make the least amount of money in the community. Yeah. So there's like a whole range of experiences and like, it's dumb to just like reduce it down to like, Oh, everyone who's Asian American is like Chinese American Korean. They like the same, they like do the same things. They like make the same amount of money, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's just not right. And like, even for us, we're like for like mostly East Asian American women. And like, that's not even, really touching upon like South Asia. And use attention. I mean, this is something that, so this is something that as a historian, I think a lot about, and also, you know, coming here to work at Emory, I think a lot about, um, because originally like the Asian American movement, um, you know, it, it was kind of founded on a choice to say, you know, okay, we're different. Um, we have these different experiences, these different backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. But we do have these shared experiences of um, racism, of violence, of exclusion in the U.S. Um, and it, it was kind of at the time, you know, back during the Vietnam War era, it was kind of, um, you know, people had to really make the decision to say, we have common issues, common interests. Um, and, you know, there are things that divide us, but there are also things that bring us together. And I think, um, you know, from the distance that we're looking at it now, I think it's easy to kind of conflate that decision with like a more passive, like, okay, well, we're all Asian, right? Um, and before that, you know, that wasn't that wasn't really what it was about, because there's, there's hella conflict between Asians, right? Mm-hmm. There's hella conflict in Asia. 
Um, and it doesn't stop when people get here, right? And so I think I think there's kind of some there's some slippages between like recognizing that there are things we have in common and assuming that we're all the same, you know? And I think that's worth talking about. Hmm. But I think just like going off of Melissa's point, growing up, um, like the beginning of my life and up to like eighth grade in a primarily white area versus like in Maryland where it's very diverse and there's a lot of people of color. I've noticed that a lot, like in Minnesota, maybe it's because I was really oblivious now that I'm reflecting back on what I was like as a child and like everyone around me, I would always get grouped with just Asian people in general. Whereas like, I was like, I don't even understand like what their culture is like, what, like, of course it's important to understand, but I can't relate exactly to that as much as I want to. And while here it's, it's very clear to me that there people realize, like, obviously there's a lot more to go, but people do realize that even in the Asian diaspora, there's different cultures and different unique identities. Um, Yeah. That's just what I wanted to mention. I um, also, I'm from Maryland. Like I grew up here. So I, just was like accustomed to a pretty diverse area. I don't know why Maryland of all states is like a diverse state, but for some reason it is. Um, so like I grew up thinking that like Asian people were just like 30% of the US population. And then like in textbooks, they would be like, oh, we're like four to 6%. I was like, what? Like that's not possible. Um, but yeah, I do think that like, and this happens pretty much anywhere. You see a lot of people like keeping with their own racial groups, like who it is that they choose to hang out with. And um, so I guess I'm lucky enough to never have experienced like explicit hate from other people in terms of like just randomly like being called a chink or like whatever. Um, But I still do think that even in these kinds of spaces, you can feel like you have to hang out with like the other Asian kids or like all the Asian kids have to hang out together or like you still feel excluded in some way or some things that are the norm just don't quite fit. And like, you don't really know why. Yeah. I think also like, adding in sort of a class dimension. Like I grew up in an upper middle-class neighborhood with in Georgia with like a lot of other Asians. So my high school was, I think 30% Asian, but then a lot of high schools in my area were also like 40 to 50% Asian American. Um, And it's just like, it's so nice, like seeing yourself visually represented and then your culture is like very much normalized. There's like a lot of boba, like where I live, like a lot of Chinese food, like very authentic Chinese food. And like, you can do a lot of just like Asian stuff, like go Mm. karaoke and go hang out with your friends and do stuff like that. But um, the, the other side is just like a lot of Asian Americans, because like where a lot of them were protected by like their class didn't necessarily like, feel the need to learn about Asian American identity or sort of historically like Asian American activism or what it means for like our, what violence against our identities looks like and how we experience things like in the world it's at large. And so it's just like, it's nice, but it's also, you sort of live in this like wealth bubble, which makes it really difficult to, you know, challenge yourself in terms of like learning about your identity and your experiences. And when we don't like learn about this stuff in K through 12, and if those classes like are basically optional or some universities don't even offer classes about Asian American like identity, then it's like, when are you ever going to learn about that kind of stuff? And I like, I think I only really recognized this when I went to Colorado last semester and Colorado does not have very many Asian people at all. And like, 
my boyfriend and I were the only Asian people in an air, basically like a city, like, cause we weren't exactly living in big cities either. And so it was just so weird being like two Asian people, like driving, <laughs> driving through like middle America being like, this is all farms and white people. Like there are no Asians here. Like, oh my gosh, it's like kind of scary. And it's also sad because like I cook a lot of Asian food and I want to eat Asian food. And I just like did not have access to good, authentic Asian food. I think for me, oh, oh, for me, it's like kind of the opposite of Stephanie. Um, just because I grew up in, I was born in Kansas and then I grew up in Minnesota and then now I live in Maryland. And I think I just like didn't realize, I, it's like, I never felt like singled out necessarily because maybe we were all kids and like we didn't understand. Like there were a lot of like Hmong population in Minnesota, but there's not necessarily a lot of Korean people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I embraced my Korean identity, but I never felt the need to like show it, be like, oh, I'm Korean and I eat kimbap or whatever for stuff like that but when i went to when i came to maryland i realized how prevalent the korean population is like I, there's a literally a street like five minutes away from me dedicated to koreans like it's called korean way now um but living here made me realize like i want to learn more about asian american history versus when i was in minnesota i didn't even think about learning about asian american history or activism um, I will say, so I think um, it's really important to point out um, a couple of things. Or I think there's an idea that still kind of exists in, you know, American media and even Asian American kind of conversations about identity and things like that. Um, people do tend to kind of act like um, there is a typical Asian American experience. It's usually, you know, upper middle class. It's based on the West Coast, maybe Hawaii. Um, and you grew up with a lot of, you know, Asian people um, who know about, you know, who know about the things that, that mm. they know about. Um, and I think it's really important. There are a couple of things. So um, I think, you know, for me, Asian American identity, and I think that this is something that like as a community, we're going to have to really reckon with um, in the next several years is that it's a moving target, like it really is. Um, Asian Americans are the largest growing population in the US. Um, they, like we said earlier, they are the population with the largest um, income gap and it's growing. Um, and the majority of Asian people in the US today are foreign born adults. Um, and so, you know, we have our experiences that we can talk about, you know, growing up here, um, you know, growing up, I think all of us grew up on the East Coast or maybe the Midwest. So none of us are, I mean, none of us are from the West Coast, first of all. Um, you know, and I think, I think it's important to kind of, you know, challenge the dominant idea of who Asian Americans are. But I think it's also worth pointing out that, you know, it's not stable <laughs> um, mm. identity wise. Like there's no one thing you can point to and say, this is what defines Asia. I mean, it's the same with, with other communities too, obviously. Um, I think that it is, you know, I think on the one hand, um, you know, our experiences, we can only t- speak for ourselves, right? And our experiences might not necessarily be representative, but I think it's also, um, I think it's also worth pointing out that there are a lot of sort of atypical Asian Americans <laughs> who grew up in places 
Um, you know, I grew up in upstate New York. The first Filipino person I met outside of my family was my college professor of Asian American history. And that was really kind of my entry point into a lot of these conversations. Um, and so, you know, we might not necessarily be representative of everybody, but I think what we can represent is, you know, how um, different our experiences are. Mm. Um, and the fact that there are sort of atypical <laughs> Asian people out there. And that's kind of my two cents about it. Yeah, I guess I'm wondering, like, what was growing up Asian American like for you guys in terms of, I guess, like expectations culturally from your community or family, or maybe like expectations of like what being Asian American means from like other people outside of, you know, the Asian American community. I was like kind of thinking about this because like, again, because I grew up around like so many Asian American people, um, I think at a younger age, we're like first forced to grapple with the f- gra- grapple with the fact that we're like a little bit different than like white people, um, and that came in the form of like casual racism in terms of like uh, I don't know if any of you guys have like heard those jokes about like oh I <laughs> like obviously the slanty eyes thing, and um, yeah variations of that I've heard a lot of that, and then like it kind of progressed into like people leaning into the model minority myth not you know we're all like dumb we're in elementary middle school we don't really know anything people would be like yeah like asians like we're all so smart and they would hardcore lean into that um you see like i think that was around the height of like asian american youtube like asian americans were like super powerful on youtube during this time so you have like wong fu nigahiga whatever whatever and so everyone was like they really liked to make these like racist jokes about themselves which is really odd um and not really realizing how much pressure that puts on like the individual asian american person like so there are like different pressures from your asian parents at home and then there are like the pressures of your asian american community around you and then there are the pressures of like the other kids who just see you as a part of this community as like you know like everyone is the same and so that kind of (laughs) sucked yeah I think there was also pressure, like, including all of that, but my family in Korea, actually. So, like, my cousins in Korea, they would have, like, a very interesting view of what it means to live in America. Like, oh, you have so much freedom. You can do whatever you want. Because in Korea, there's a really big emphasis on education and, like, going to, like, prep courses or whatever and they would think they would look at me who never actually gone so it's called hagwon in korea and i've never attended any of those and they would assume like oh my god she's so free like she can do whatever she wants she can just play outside but then i would internalize that but then like go to school and be fed with like oh you're like the smartest person i've ever known when they literally don't know anything about me like you just think i'm smart because i'm asian so there's like this like am I supposed to be free and living like as a quote unquote American or am I supposed to be like super smart, like that quiet Asian kid that people think of me as like where I'm go, where I go to school, you know? I have memories of people being like, like this is so like stereotypical, but literally asking me to do their math homework. <laughs> and um, like the other Asian kids was like lean into it. Like they would take pride in the fact that people like asked them to do their homework, not really realizing like what it meant, you know? I mean, it was just like their way of dealing with this like weird pressure that was put on them. 
okay, not to like at me directly or anything, Louise, but that was me in high school. And I would just scam like the white kids at my school because they thought I was smart for their money and do their homework. Um, Wait, that's different. <laughs> that's that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, I just remember growing up, like, I really was proud of being like Chinese and I wanted to share that with people. So I would just like bring in ethnic foods and be like, hey, like, like, this is what I eat at home. Like, don't you guys want to try it? Like, are you interested in this? And I would try to pe- like teach people Chinese and like Shanghai dialect. And nobody just like, nobody gave a fuck. Like, nobody cared. And I was just like, like, don't you understand that, like, I'm dope as fuck, like, I'm Asian, like, do you guys want to know more about this? And they're like, no, like, we hate you, like, we think you eat dogs, like, go. Oh, my God. And I was just, like, sad. I was, like, like, actively trying to, like, tell people that I was proud of being Asian and, like, trying to share, like, my cultural identity with people and, like, outside of, you know, whatever, like, multicultural night that you have where everybody's excited <laughs> free food and like watch a dragon dance or something like nobody cared and I think that is what really like hurt me this was like even before I became interested in learning more about like my Asian American identity like academically and I was just like wanted to tell people about like how I grew up and like like my grandparents back in China and like what do we do when we go back to China and like all the the different like holidays that we celebrate and I think it just hurt a lot that people are so caught up in trying to project their ideas of what Asian Americans are or should be like onto me that they just didn't even care when I genuinely wanted to help them explore like our culture in an authentic way. I think that's like the most frustrating thing about being Asian American is that Mm -hmm. here and we try to express like pride or, or authenticity in our identity or some sort of like autonomy and being like we exist and these are our problems but these are also pieces of our culture and then nobody really cares about experiencing it genuinely but they are like so committed to reinforcing these like ideas that they have about our identities already that they're just like they completely are okay with brushing us aside and I think that within itself is already like very violent just like a small point, I think related to that, there are like these terms that pe- a lot of people use like, oh, you're a fob or, oh, you're whitewashed or you're Twinkie. There's like these terms that people use like Twinkie is like, oh, you're yellow on the outside, but actually you're very white um, or a fob. If you like express your culture a lot or you, I there's this thing here. I don't know about you, Louise, but like at my school, at my high school, like people who would wear like circular glasses like they would like be like lobby. yeah i was like what, <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> so yeah just like qu- terms like that just just like compresses people into like certain groups just because of the way they express themselves yeah i think i, I think a lot of this kind of resonates with this idea that um there used to be um just historically speaking there are com- there are a lot of conversations like Asian Americans, they occupy two worlds, one of them traditional, one of them modern. And yeah. it's very, I mean, it's its so limiting. Um, it's so racist. And, um, you know, it, it it's frustrating to not just be able to kind of like, I don't know, it forces so much like self-awareness or self-consciousness on you to have to be like, you know, how... how you know, am I being super Asian right now or am I being super American right now? Mm. It's like, you know, 
it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, I actually like uh, one thing. Okay, one thing about this conversation is like I'm kind of frustrated because like there's like so much thought I have about the variation and this like experience and like different aspects. But I know that if I like talk about it, most people won't understand what I'm talking about. Um, but also like in terms of you know like the two worlds and like whiteness versus Asianness, like that is something that I actually think about a lot. Like um, my friends and I have all talked about like who is like the most quote unquote whitewashed or who is the most like Americanized versus Asian. And like, we like to like discuss and rank ourselves with like how much we've been affected by these like different influences. And like, that is something I also just think about like in terms of how I interact with other people, how well I fit into different groups and different categories. Like, um, when I'm like with my white friends, like, do I feel like I am considered the the one Asian person who like the only person who can like have a certain type of food and not like have my mouth catch on fire or like um, when I'm with my Asian friends, like, am I being too quote unquote American? Like, am I not leaning enough into Asian Americanness? Like, should I talk about like K-pop or anime more? Like, whatever you know, like. I even have a term and maybe that maybe it's partially my fault. Like maybe I'm limiting myself or limiting other Asian Americans. Like I have a term for like STEM Asians. I'm like, this is like a specific group of people. And I like have a clear idea of what that is in my head. My gosh. Um, Very religious church. Korean Christian Koreans like is another category, you know, like there's so many different categories. You see like the, the boys wearing those, like that red black flannel. And like, (laughs) that's such a staple of the Asian American boy, you know, like all these different things, even like Sungyeon, like what you're saying about like the circular glasses, like, yeah, you know, even Asian Americans within themselves, like they can like, they try to identify and categorize our own people into like these different boxes. I'd be lying if I didn't, if I said I didn't do that, you know? Yeah. It goes back to, um, back to mean girls and when they're introducing people and they're like here are the cool Asians here are the nerdy Asians yeah. <laughs> you know it doesn't it doesn't go away yeah well I think then we can like move into talking a little bit about the intersection of you know being a woman and being Asian American and I feel like for me at least it's come in a couple of different forms like like being either really hypersexualized by other people or like being told that I need to be more diminutive and smaller, like both physically and like personality wise by my family. And also like, I don't know. I feel like oh, sometimes like people just don't take me seriously. And I don't know if it's because like, oh, I'm a woman or I'm Asian or if it's both. And like, I don't know. I think this like, self-doubt about are you being racist to me right now or am I just overthinking it is this how you talk to everybody or are you just talking to me in this particular way because like you think that I will not talk back to you um and I think it's like this constant like over analysis prevents me from genuinely like being present and existing in the world that I'm in which is also really frustrating like when like people can just do their own thing. I'm here thinking like, was that racist? Like, did I a victim of a hate crime? Like, do I oh my God. <laughs> you right now? Yeah. I think in terms of like the sexualization or hypersexualization of Asian women that often happens, it's like really weird because like 
I have experienced like both ends of that spectrum. Like I've talked to a lot of people, just like often random people that I've like just met and they'll like, they'll like say like, oh yeah, like, I don't know why, but like, I get really asexual vibes from you. And like, not that being asexual is like bad or anything, but that's just so odd to me because like, that's so out of the blue. And I don't really know what that means, but I've gone this multiple times, like throughout different points in my life where someone is like, yeah, you just like seem really asexual. And I think it's because like in general, I'm like a mostly quiet Asian girl, you know, or at least I don't talk to these people. But anyway, um, and then like on the other end, like every time I've like been catcalled or like had some creepy experience with like a weird guy, they always mention my race. They're like, whether it's like the other day, well, actually pretty recently, like maybe a few months ago, I was like, um, walking around my very diverse city and like some guy pulled like he was like driving past me and he like yelled out his window something about my Chinese pussy and like I did not hear the beginning of a sentence I don't think it was like particularly pleasant I was like oh my god or like one time I was like volunteering at a nursing home and some guy was like oh yeah like they're always like what are you like are you like Chinese or Korean like even at my driving at my like driver's test the guy testing me was like yeah like you seem kind of Korean to me. And I was like, okay, I'm driving. Like, I don't know what you want from me. So it's just like so odd. Like, am I like asexual or like, am I sexual to the point that like my Asian-ness or like my Chinese Korean-ness is like the main facet of my sexuality? Like, that's so odd. What I think is also really weird is how people will frame it like, Like, you don't have anything to worry about as an Asian American woman. Like, men want you. Men, like, fetishize your identity and they actively, like, want you. So, like, what do you have to worry about, you know? But then, like, we see with these fucking spa shootings that, like, this fetishization is in itself, like, so dangerous. Like, they we don't want this attention, man. Right. (laughs) They hypersexualize us, make us so, like, self-conscious of our image and, like, how we produce ourselves. And then also, like clearly objectify us and think we're exotic in some type of way and like we did not ask for this like this is clearly not an accurate representation and also like this doesn't protect us in any way like we are still like subject to the same form of violence that like other a lot of other like poc women are so i just like i wish people would take these claims of like violence and harm more seriously than they do because like clearly people are dying because of it and it's just like it sucks so much that people think that like us being fetishized and wanted is some sort of like protection, but it's actually not. Yeah. I mean, it definitely really drives home, you know, especially when it's something like catcalling, um, it, you know, it makes you feel really visible, really vulnerable in ways that like, I don't want this. I don't want this kind of attention, you know? Um, I think, you know, the issue of consent is a really big one, really important one. Um, and I think this is something that I think about a lot too, because there's always, the, you know, the stereotype of like Asian women dating white men. And then there are people who, you know, for lack of a better term, there are a lot of like Asian incels who are like, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of incels who belong to all communities, but there are a lot of, you know, diversity for incels. <laughs> Diversity for incels, you know, don't pigeonhole it anyway. So there, there, but there is like a pretty big, um, really organized too, like cohort of Asian American incels who will like harass women on the internet being like, you're a race traitor because you are dating 
someone who's not an Asian man or they'll be like, oh, what are these white men doing with our women? And it's like, well, oh, no, we're not, nobody's, nobody's your women. Like these women belong to themselves. They have autonomy and independence and they can take, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, in, in situations where it feels like your race is making you super visible, it's like, can't I just date a person because I like them and not because of the race that they are, you know? And it's just, yeah. But I remember because Celeste Ng, um, the novelist, was showing, she was like posting on her Twitter account, like screenshots of really, really like violent comments that she was getting from Asian American men because she's married to a white man, her her son, I think, is mixed race. Um, and people were like, oh, your son may, must hate himself so much, you know? Why do you hate Asian people so much that you're not married, you're married to a white yeah. man, not an Asian person? It's like, mm, this actually, this actually, this might surprise you. This has nothing to do with you, actually. <laughs> like, Celeste can marry whoever she wants, right? You Like, why, why harass strangers? I don't know. Incels on the internet, man. Yeah. I maybe like the theme of this episode is literally like why are people so silent on Asian American issues because I'm like also about to clap back right now with like a whole like why are people who people who culturally appropriate and hypersexualize Asian women never get called out for it? Nicki Minaj and her fucking Chun Li like music video and then like Gwen Stefani doing her whole like Harajuku phase like what is that shit and it and it's like such an act of like not only like cultural appropriation but also just like sexualization and objectification of asian like japanese and asian culture and it's like but nobody has been like canceled quote unquote over this and as little as i believe in like cancel culture i do believe in accountability and nobody has said anything to try to hold these like people accountable you know like when these whole like blm protests happen like Artists came out being like, I'm sorry for this instance of racism that I said back in 2012. And I'm like, what is this latent apology going to do for every, anybody, first of all? And second of all, but like, it's useless, but you are re- actively recognizing like your harms against that community. And I would like the same thing to be done for Asian Americans. Cause it's like people essentially just ignore the violence that's done to our communities and they brush past it. And they think it's like, okay, I guess nobody holds them accountable. Yeah. Racism against Asian people, like however casual or serious it is, is just really never taken seriously. Like <laughs> I remember like in my high school, again, like I grew up in such a diverse area, like some, there was like a, a like practice AP test or whatever, something about, uh, world history and there's something to do with Asia and like someone made a joke about like s- someone like named a guy sushi something like that because he like couldn't remember his name and everyone laughed and I was like that's really weird that like the first of all it's not funny like if you're gonna be racist be funny at least that it wasn't even funny and then like you know that kind of I was like that's weird you know my teacher would say weird stuff about like Japanese people and no one said a thing and then like the other day I was like watching an NPR, this Asian woman, I think who like was getting beat up outside of a building and like three men, including two security guards were just like watching it and they close the door. And I'm like, how do you have a job as a security guard? And then close the door on like somebody getting attacked. Like I, I just like don't understand in general. Like I feel like visibility is something that we're like constantly trying to fight for and like trying to prove that like you know, people are always trying to say stuff like, oh, we belong here. And I can't believe that it's something that people are even still saying. Like, 
why is xenophobia an issue? First of all, xenophobia implies, you know, that we're all foreign and foreign, whatever. But like, um, the conversation I feel like should just be like way ahead of this by now, you know, especially with all the shit that's happening lately. Yeah. And I feel like bigger picture also, it's like, it's so frustrating to me that for Asian Americans, a lot of the ways that like we find value or we we're thought of as valuable is through our labor and this is so much like ingrained through the way that like a lot of our parents are forced to immigrate here it's like they're like essentially the american system just picks and chooses like the immigrants they think are going to bring the most value to america and Mm -hmm. it's sort of ingrained i guess at least in the messages my parents pass on to me it's like you have to like bring some service to this community like you have to like find your value in some way. And that is through your labor. And I think that's so like unfair. Like we can't just like belong here and exist in this community because we're physically here now. Like that's apparently not enough. Like we have to, in order to be seen as useful, we have to contribute some sort of use or some sort of value. And like, obviously that is like the entirety of capitalism in itself, but I feel like so much more amplified, like as an Asian American person. I guess the last question that I have, because I've been taking up a lot of space, is um, <laughs> what do you celebrate in your Asian American identity? I feel like we've just been so sad and like angry, which is fair. But what do you like appreciate about being Asian American? I mean, I I want I want to first, um, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that there's actually, there's value in anger. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things that happen and we should be angry about them. And I think people, you know, can afford to know that, that things make us angry. I think for, um, I think culturally for a lot of us, it's very difficult to feel comfortable expressing your anger. Um, I think there's a lot of self-doubt, like Stephanie was saying earlier about like, you know, is this really racist? Is this really sexist? Am I just overreacting? Um, and I, I think that it's important to say that, like, no, Asian people are not all cool with your like, you know, positive stereotypes and things like that. Here's a, here are the ways that this harms us. And I think, you know, being able to articulate that and to own your anger and to, you know, assert your expertise about your own experience um, is really valuable. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I can, I mean, there's lots of things that I enjoy being, I enjoy being about, I enjoy (laughs) about being an Asian American woman, but I'd love to hear from you all first. Um, for me, it's like kind of related back to our last point, but it's my name, um, and just like Mm -hmm. the Korean language in general, um, kind of what the value in being angry. Um, so in Minnesota, I actually, for since second grade to until I moved, I used the nickname Sunny. And I, I don't think I realized why I did it until I actually reflected, but I realized I was doing it for other people to be more comfortable about saying my name. Um, so many times my name would be mispronounced and confused or just, they would say, oh, her. You know, they would actually say my name. So I was like, okay, maybe I should, you know, take on a nickname. So maybe I can be called on more or maybe it would be just more comfortable in general. And I don't think I realized how angry I was at myself for doing that. Like, why am I not taking pride Mm -hmm. in my name when I wasn't even given like a nickname from my parents when I was born? 
um, even though I was born in the United States. So then when I moved to Maryland, I decided to drop Sunny. Like I never used it in Maryland. I only used Sung Yoon. And now I take full pride in it. Like you're going to have to learn how to pronounce my name. Like if you can pronounce like, like Ansel Al Gore or whatever, then you can pronounce <laughs> my name. Like, so now I take pride in seeing like, I guess like people learning Korean, even if it's through like K-dramas or K-pop. Now I'm like, yeah, Korean is such a good language. Like, I'm like, thank you for learning it and appreciating it. Uh, obviously there are like people just not appreciating, but yeah, I take a lot of pride in my name and um, I'm not going to change my name again. Um, I mean, I think it's the difference is like, it's okay if you just ask me like how to pronounce it, but if you just like dismiss it and be like, oh, it's too hard for me. Like, no, mm. you're going to learn how to pronounce my name and any other um, name, Chinese name, Korean name or et cetera, you know? Mm, I think for me, um, beyond like, well, I just find like a lot of the art or music or like literature, et cetera, et cetera, that is like being created by Asian American people, like pretty amazing. I also find like the history and the activism really amazing. Like I honestly didn't really know shit about that until like this year and like Melissa and like Professor Sa and like a class that I took, like they kind of illuminated that for me. But that's like something I'm really interested in. And I find super kind of like inspirational almost like that the fact that even the title like Asian American is tied to activism. Um, but I think that like on a more personal level, like what I enjoy most about being an Asian American woman is like is honestly probably like the community that I have. And there are a lot of things I hate about the community and a lot of parts of it that I just like, you know, I kind of resent almost, but I think the pocket that I've been able to find in terms of like, even like just the people here, you know, like people who care about a lot of the same things that I do. Yeah. Or like, even just like finding a PETA in college, <laughs> even finding PETA in college, like has been really shocking to me because I had been looking for like Asian Americans interested in like activism for a long time and I didn't really find it until college. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate not having to like explain everything to just have people to like fall back on who kind of like just get where I'm coming from. And um, it's, it's very comforting in a way that I don't think I can articulate. And I don't think anyone else can easily articulate either. Yeah. I think like, there's such a rich history that comes out of, you know, Asia in general. And even being like connected to that in some type of way is like really nice. I guess it's, it's so difficult. Like I see my white friends being like, this is my ancestry. Like, look, I got it at like ancestry and me. Like I know exactly like what percentages of what I made up of. Like here are my grand great grandparents from like the 1900s. Like look at these pictures I have of them. And like, is our family tree and I just like it feels like a lot of that for me is lost because you know when we immigrate here we lose a lot of our family histories and especially when our primary language is English and it's not you know um, from our heritage country it becomes really difficult to connect to that but I guess like just being Asian American and having some like tie to that even if it is like through food or through like acts of care that are very particular to the Asian American community or just being able to like talk to my parents like that makes me feel some type of like connection to sort of a larger history and a larger culture that I'm a part of and also I think it's like so 
interesting the way that Asian Americans have been able to like innovate this identity blending. Um, you know, like we are, we do come from like a very interesting and basically like colonized background and finding new ways to like move forward from that. And I guess like trying to figure out a way to exist, I think is really cool. I don't know. It's always really hard, but then we are constantly in the act of like creating something. Um, and I think that is like the, like we're honestly doing the best that we can do. And I just like would like to give the Asian American community props for that. That's on period. Okay. Um, I think that is a good ending to our couch conversation. So I'm going to throw it back to Louise, who's going to give us our um, question of the day. Uh, I should probably ask the CWE. Okay, I feel like I could honestly talk about this shit for like hours. <laughs> but the question of the day is from Taylor, who is from Louisiana. And it is, how do you get period blood out of things? <laughs> so I'm guessing like clothes, fabrics, blankets, etc. How do you guys get period blood out of things? Sorry, I was reminded of another Yahoo Answers that I found while I was doing research. Please, please share. It, it was, it? well, it was, how do I get spaghetti sauce out of my underwear? It was, Excuse me? like, it, it is white cotton underwear and there's spaghetti sauce on it. How do I get it out? And I was like, that way you get out most stains. Um, I will say that cold, cold water, um, not hot water, cold water, um, will usually do the trick. Um, I, I tend to not stress too much about, <laughs> about period stains, to be honest, um, because I'm like, you know, this is a, this is a natural function of my body. And these are, these are my things. And it's, you know, not a huge problem. Um, but I will say, yeah, cold water definitely can work for period blood or spaghetti sauce. I just think like, don't underestimate the power of soap. Like I have really just taken my blankets to the sink, run some water over and just like scrubbed the soap a bunch. And like, it's kind of a miracle. Like sometimes I'm really lazy and I like wait like almost a week before I actually wash it. Yeah, I know. Chill out, Stephanie. She made a face that was like horrified. But <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm cause I know I'm going to like bleed more, you know, so I might as well wait. And yeah, the, the soap really just like you watch like there's some, something kind of satisfying watching the like reddish brownish color come out like after you put the soap on. So yeah, I will second the cold water, but also um, make sure that you wash it ASAP. It's also it's for your like personal hygiene safety because like old blood will develop a lot of bacteria. Oh, but also, true. what is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's. True. Especially if you're like wearing the underwear that you've bled in. Oh, well, I wouldn't do that. Like, then you should try to wash it ASAP because like, A, it's a hygiene thing. And B, also, because like blood will set in your clothes if you let it sit in it. So if you rinse it out as soon as possible, like you'll get a lot of the blood out actually with only cold water. Um, and also like just wear cotton underwear on your period because you want your coochie to breathe. And also, like, to not stain your nice underwear. If you're wearing, like, thongs or something on your period, I'm like, damn, girl, you like, you got some trust in God or some shit like that. 
I, I just like could never. I know um, hydrogen peroxide is a really good way to remove stains. Um, you just like put a little on and then it just disappears. Is hydrogen peroxide like in something? No, I think it sells in like a like on its own thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. They also use it for like antiseptic purposes, but I hear it's like bad for your skin. Okay. So that was our answer to the question. To conclude this episode, as usual, we will end on a quote from The Spurge Call My Back. Um, thank you all for coming and speaking with us today. Um, but this quote today is from Mitsuye Yamada, who I believe is an Asian-American person. Um, it's not only the young, but those who feel powerless over their own lives know what it is like not to make a difference on anyone or anything. The poor know it only too well, and we women have known it since we were little girls. The most insidious part of this conditioning process, I realize now, was that we have been trained not to expect a response in ways that mattered. So, thank you all for joining us. Have a nice Yay. life and day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.